0: You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast, brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and supported by the Western Weekender. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. is an ultramarathon runner who has represented Australia and has taken on some of the best runners and most difficult races in the world. A sense of exploration has always driven Brendan which combined with a love of running has led to an incredible career. A balanced perspective in life and competition has benefited Brendan on and off the trail. In the twilight of his career, It is a shift to coaching that has Brendan's focus, embracing the opportunity to share his learnings and amazing experiences with others. to the show. Thanks We're great to be on. Now Brendan, uh, you grew up in St. George, which is just south of Sydney, and you said to me before the show that growing up you played all sorts of team sports. Mm. You, know, you went to scouts, you went to little athletics, and you're always looking to get involved in new activities. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing in St. the St. George area. Yeah, I grew up in, a, I guess, different
1: times. Um, it's very outdoor kind of life. Um, Spent a lot of time um, in my neighbourhood on my bike, playing around with my friends in parks and organising games of soccer, football, cricket, all that type of thing. Um, So yeah, I had a very active upbringing and seemed to have nearly something on nearly every day after school, (laughs) either training for some sport or some other activity.
0: And what was it about the, the outdoors and the activities that you loved as a kid growing up? I think it was just in my DNA. I, I couldn't really sit still,
1: so I had to get outside and do something. And and I've always been a social person too. So you know, back in the day, we'd have a little gang and uh, go around and play sport or terrorise something or the gangs of St George. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little BMX bandit type thing. And yeah, back in the day, where you where where you could do stuff and not have the worry of um, you know things that go on these days
0: yeah. do you think society's kind of lost touch a little bit in terms of technology and, and a lot of structure do you think we've lost that freedom just to go outside and play
1: oh look definitely um it's 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 very sad in a way that yeah the life that a lot of kids now have is is very indoors and very hooked to their technology devices and um i run a little venture called trail kids and um, sometimes we get the odd kid that comes along that has had no exposure to the bush or being in the bush or um quite anxious about even just being there and you know after about half an hour of playing around outside you can just see their natural instincts take over and they love it but yeah it it is in it is a sad thing i think a a lot less of uh, the kids these days are connected to to um, the outside world and for you growing up brendan what role and what influence did your family have on your upbringing oh look a great deal um we um I had I had three sisters and big family but always looking for things to do, um, as a family. Um, we went camping a lot and uh always pushed into activities, whether it was scouts or, or drama or, or music or um, you know, I wasn't that way inclined, my sisters were so we we were pushed and um encouraged to follow our passions and, and study was always the big thing as well. So we were, you know, um always had the right priorities in in place, I think.
0: Yeah. And how important was that support and, I guess, gentle pushing from your parents to to chase your passions and to chase your dream? Was was that really impactful on you?
1: Definitely. Um, some things didn't work out, and you know, it was a good a good lesson to learn. I think that yeah. Some things uh, aren't meant for you, and and that was it. Like for me, if I tried a few things like drama, and I still I, it was too indoors <laughs> for my liking. I was always the active kind of one. So any any sport, I was I was you know yeah, give me this. Um, but uh, yeah, it, w- it was good to have that kind of um, parent parents that yeah encouraged us to to branch out and follow whatever we wanted to do.
0: Yeah. And for you, Brendan, after high school, what path did you take, um, I guess, in your early, early career? Was it work? Was it study?
1: Um, no, I went straight from high school to uni, and I did a, a Bachelor of Arts degree. Um, I didn't take it too seriously. It was more like a Bachelor of Attendance, uh, get it done. Um, it took me about four and a half years to actually get the thing done. Um, I was into a lot of social, other social things in life. I went. I, I was into music a lot, so I went out to bands and Back in the day when there were bands at you know nearly every pub around, and was into the social side of university a lot. But eventually got that degree, and um, I had my heart set on getting some cushy council job somewhere. Didn't work out. Had a couple of years um, just kind of trying to figure out what to do, um, part time jobs and stuff like that. And finally decided to do teaching as a as another degree, uh, an add on degree. And so I did that for a year and became a teacher. Before we jump into the, yeah. the teaching side of things, who's your favourite band? Oh, gosh, I've got lots. Back in the day, you know, um, I'm a rock and roller, so Jane's Addiction, um, oh, gosh, Blind Melon, um Australian bands, me not all, Um, yeah,
0: anything that's good rocky kind of music, yeah. And quick segue, does that help with, do you use that music with your running at all, with a bit of beat and a bit of rhythm? A little bit,
1: not too much. Um, I mainly use music to relax too. Um, Running is relaxing, but it's also quite, I have to be quite focused as well, so I don't tend to mix music and running too much, but yeah. And going back to your teaching, where did that take you once you had your teaching degree? So my first um, job was in Mount Druitt and I actually was at a public school for three years there, um, which gave me a really good grounding in behavioural management side of teaching because, um, um, yeah, it was a, a very disadvantaged area. And then I went to a private school in Mount Druitt, um, which was totally different. It gave me opportunity to kind of expand my teaching, um, teaching skills as an educator, I guess, and um, and then after six or seven years there at that school, I did a cadetship with the Department of Ed um, in special ed. So I went to uni for a year. I didn't actually work. I just studied um, and I got my master's in special education. Um, so, yeah, that. and then I, I taught in Wayland Public School for four
0: years as a special ed teacher. Yeah. So did you think coming out of school that teaching was something that you were... Keen to get into or might get into? Yeah,
1: I always saw it as a, an option with my undergraduate degree. Um, it was in, uh, like, um, earth sciences. So I was going to actually do high school geography and that kind of thing. Um, but I uh, got sent to a, like, as you do, I actually started a secondary degree and went to a high school for in the first couple of weeks as just an exposure day. And I went to a selective high school in, in Bexley and it was very much like sit down, learn, straight, straight, <laughs> straight 180s, yeah. yeah. And I went to this high school and it was just out of control. And I went, oh, wow, this is what high schools are really like. Yeah. And these kids were bigger than me and like had no, I wouldn't have had any control over them. And said, so I went home and I remember talking to Nadine, I, my wife, Nadine, I can't do, this. I don't think I can be a high school teacher if all high schools are like that because I had this picture in mind of, Kids walk in, they sit down at their desk, you, you study and you learn like I kind of went through in my high school journey. But it, So yeah, then I shifted to primary school and um, my sister was a primary school teacher so she encouraged me to follow that, gave me a lot of help along the way and um, yeah, and my mum was also a primary school teacher so yeah, I kind of followed the family tradition a bit then. Yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah. And Brendan, at what point were you first introduced to, to running and running competitively?
1: Um, As a kid I was always good at running I just didn't really like it because it was always like the thing that didn't involve any other kids so well not as in a team sense I much preferred team sports when I was a kid so I played soccer, cricket, um, football you know just about nearly every team sport you could do and um, running was always like oh yeah I'm good at it but I don't really like it and I did the odd fun run City to Surf when I was a kid and um, I went to Little A's for a couple of seasons, but I actually didn't really like it because I was not very good at the throws and the jumps and all that. And all I wanted to do was the, the, the running side of it. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't really until like I was uh, late 20s, early 30s, um, the team sports were really petering down by then. I'd gone through like um, my early 20s um, playing a bit of social cricket and, and that kind of thing. But then by about 25, that had all stopped all my friends and myself were getting in relationships, having kids, very career minded as well. So I was chucking in a lot of hours into teaching and getting that grounding in that profession. And then um, it wasn't really until that kind of, I felt like I had that under control that and then I started to, you know, I I wanted, actually wanted to lose some weight and stuff because I was still playing squash at the time and. Um, because of the teaching and the long hours and stuff I'd kind of let my exercise go and I'd put on a bit of weight and I wanted to change kind of my lifestyle I guess and so yeah I just took up running um, uh, with a local running club that I was living close to in Strathfield, Woodstock Runners And, and I started just going there socially just to do their social runs and then it turned into a little bit more and it kind of just snowballed from there. And jumping
0: back just a little bit, you mentioned that the fun runs and you kind of always were involved in running to a degree. At that earlier age, through your teens and stuff, did you recognise that maybe you had a a skill or an ability or or an attraction to this sport?
1: Yeah, definitely. Actually, you know, since I've been a young boy, it's something that I've known I've always been good at. Um, So when I went to primary school, I... Off no training, I used used to win the cross-country carnivals and make it pretty high up just with no structured training. I was just one of those kids that was pretty good at it and I always knew I was good at it. I always knew it was one thing I was good at. It's funny, it's always been that one skill I knew that it was just born with. Um,
0: Do you think part of that's the ability to control what you can control? When you're playing in team sports and, um, I guess, player-on-player sports, there's a lot out of your control. Did you, like... I guess, the element of control
1: was running? Yeah, yeah. And I always liked the sports that involved more running too. So I was always, you know, into the soccer and AFL as well, played that for a season. And I, and I just knew that, um, yeah, I, I just had something that other people didn't, I guess. And um, it wasn't so much more about control. It was just I had a propensity, I think, I think uh, running long distance running is, is part um, physical but also part mental. So yeah, you got to want to you got to have to like it to do it. And if you don't like it, then you're not gonna
0: you're not gonna do it. You spend so, a lot of time doing it if that's yeah the case.
1: yeah. There's something about it that just fits with my personality type as well. So yeah. so in your
0: late twenties, you you join the local running club. Um, what change did that have in the the immediate sense on your life, both mental and physical?
1: Well, it gave me a lot of structure. Um, I
0: I was fitting
1: in two days a week training, two or three days a week training, which was good because it, it got me um, out of work earlier. So I wasn't putting in all those hours. And so mentally, it was offering me a lot more of m- my time back instead of just thinking I had to work 24-7, that a lot of new teachers kind of get stuck into that, that rut of just never switching off. So... Um, so not only the actual club training sessions, but I got into good habits, like, um, after work, I'd go for a run straight away and then come back and maybe do a little bit more work at school and then go home. So instead of just spending the whole afternoon there till like 5.30, like a lot of teachers do, I was doing a run and then, you know, so mentally it gave me a release and gave me something else to focus on. And I think more balanced life, um, uh, and, and physically, yeah, like I lost all the weight and I, I slimmed down. I got really fit again and, and just felt much better inside myself.
0: It's yeah. a funny cycle, isn't it? When, when people are feeling unfit, um, you know, they're eating poorly, they're not exercising. It can seem like something you just can't break. But the moment you get into that good routine of, of exercise of any description, it's amazing, isn't it? How much you start eating healthy, you feel better, you sleep better um is that a message i guess you like to share with with your networks as well? oh yeah
1: absolutely and i always push that running is all about forming good habits and being consistent with it you don't have to smash out every session you don't have to be you know at your peak every you know every time it's just about keeping the habits going and being consistent with it and progress is made and uh, even when my runners that are occasionally injured, I still make them come to the training session and either if they can walk or do some strength training on the side, it's just about getting there and, and going through the routines that they're used to and maintaining those good
0: habits. Yeah. So you back with the, the Woodstock running club. Yep. At what point did you say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to give this competitive running a, a go? Was there kind of a, a light bulb moment that made you realise that you wanted to give it a crack?
1: Yeah, I kind of fell into a few races and did... Um, did pretty well at them and realized, well, I'm only doing a little bit of training. What if I actually took this a bit seriously and started training a bit more? So I started training a bit more and doing a a few more races and started to finish higher up and higher up. And what kind of discipline are we talking here? Like length? So it was just mainly road running back then. Um, when I lived in the inner West there and did like 10 K half marathons and marathons. So the longer stuff I always had a, a liking for, um, but I've also got that inner drive to be the best that I can be. So I was always trying to self-improve, not just in physical fitness, but routines and habits, sleep, like you were said before, diet, all those things. And I was really getting into the whole, um, you know, the whole holistic approach to running, not just the training part of it. So it was reading a lot and talking to a lot of the people at that club and. Yeah I, I, I didn't really have a light bulb moment, I, I just kind of fell into it and, and I, a combination of my own drive to, to improve and, and just also taking the opportunities when they were there.:
0: And did you mention the marathons, Did the long distance component, the marathons, did you uncover them for yourself, or were you kind of pushed in that direction to give them a go?
1: No, it's always been self-discovery with me. Um, I'm not an anxious... Like, I don't have a lot of anxiety, like, um, about trying new things, thankfully. Um, So I'm someone that will just go into anything willy-nilly without really thinking too hard about it.
0: As you did in your childhood with all the sports. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I just was signing up for this and that race and, oh, a mountain race. Uh, What's a mountain race? I don't know, but I'm going to give it a crack. And uh, trail running races weren't really around back then either, but there was a few. I'd I'd try them. And the same with the distances as well. Like, I threw myself into a 100k race after only running probably for a couple of years. And, you know, if I had a coach back then, which I didn't, which was probably a good thing because they would have been like, no. Um, And, um, yeah, I probably wouldn't have been doing it. But I, I threw myself into those kind of things
0: without much thought. Yeah. And describe to us what, a, what an ultra marathon is. For those who might not know, what,
1: what is an ultra marathon? Yeah, so ultra marathon running kind of encompasses quite a few um, sorts of running. So, technically, an ultra marathon is any distance past 42.2 kilometres, so past a standard marathon distance. But, um, so, you can have track ultra marathons where you run around an athletics track for 12, 6, 12, or 24 hours. I've never done those myself. <laughs> Don't see myself doing them, but that it takes a special type of person to do those. But it's quite popular in a global sense. Um, and then you have road marathons, which would ultra marathons, which would be the next popular. Not so much in Australia, but um, globally, there's quite a, a few big road ultra marathons. Anything up to 100k or is kind of that kind of distance. But by far the most popular type of ultra marathon is trail these days. So ultra trail running. Um, either 50k or 50 mile, 80k or 100k or 160k, which is 100 mile American,
0: kind of very big in America. I've got to say, yeah. those, uh, those numbers are quite hard to fathom considering you yeah.
1: struggled to lumber through the city to surf year to year. Well, mate, I remember when I used to, too, and, and I say this to everyone is like, they always say, Oh, I'll never run 100k. I said, Be careful what you say because everyone said that once upon a time that runs 100k's now. So we all start somewhere, but yeah, ultra-trail running is the big discipline of ultra-marathon running these days. It's really boomed in the last five years, and that's kind of something that I've
0: specialised in. And when and where was your first ultra-trail?
1: Um, I did a, uh, a couple, I did many road ultra-marathons first, and then my first, I think, proper, tr- like there is six-foot track marathon, which is, is up at Katoomba. Every march it's been going for you know 30 40 years or 30 at least 30 years now and that's 45 kilometers. So it technically it is an ultramarathon, so I did that first um, for a couple of years, but you know any self-respecting ultramarathon runner wouldn't call that an ultramarathon because it's just too short. So my first 100k was up at um, up up here at Katoomba back in the days when it was called the North Face 100. Um. So yeah, it's a hundred kilometre race at Katoomba Um. That's on each year in May, and it's now called Ultra Trail Australia. And how did you go first time round in that hundred k? I did very well, actually, much better than I thought. I I I came fifth. Um, uh, I had a pretty good grounding in hundred k road running, so I knew I'd be pretty good at the distance side of it. But I I didn't I I was scared about the whole element of the terrain side of things because I was still living in. Um, in in inner west of Sydney then. So I had no real training on on mountains and trails, so it was kind of like just one of those beginner luck things.
0: And across all of the the different disciplines of the ultras, did you find that success came to you early or did you find that there was quite a disparity between where you were and kind of the the leaders of the pack?
1: Yeah, it changes. Like in Australia, it's a a pretty small pond. Back then, especially when I started... um, so I found myself being pretty high up competitively from the get-go um, but then I had a couple of experiences overseas where you know in America where the fields are much deeper and suddenly you get you bring yeah you, you come crashing down earth and you you come off your little um, high horse a little bit and kind of go all oh, right so you know it, it just changes um, but in Australia I, I kind of had that kind of success straight away but as the years have gone on, actually the the fields in Australia has got deeper and deeper, and I've had to train harder and harder and harder to just to stay at that kind of top level. So yeah, that's something I'm actually quite proud of. It's it's um, something I've I've worked on um, being the best at, you know, and I've maintained that pretty much for eight, ten years
0: or so. Even as the the young wave, the next generation comes through. Yeah, it's,
1: yeah, exactly, and it's not so much young. They're not young. they they're kind of just. The age I was when I started, um, but there's so much more information around these days, and so much more um, advice and good coaches around these days that I didn't have. Um, so yeah, it's just um, about you know, keeping up with the you know um, training philosophies and new techniques and things like that, and also self-reflecting on what works and what doesn't for me, and and you know concentrating on elements of running that I've
0: perhaps not done before. So. Yeah. You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast, brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. And what was that first moment where you decided hey, I'm going to give this a crack. I'm going to give this endurance running a crack as a career, as an elite athlete.
1: Um, So we were looking to move up here and buy our first home, my wife and I, and um, we looked at a few places and I remember my my wife was saying, well, we should look for a place that's close to Mount Druid where I was working and we both want to live close to the bushland. That's why we moved to the mountains, not to kind of live in a suburban mountains town, but... Um, and then we found this place at Woodford that backed onto the trails and I knew the trail networks at Woodford were pretty extensive. And so I actually decided to buy that house based on kind of my running in a way because it was such an important element of my life. And your wife was on board with that? Yeah, decision? definitely. Yeah. Well, it kind of ticked her boxes anyway because it was right next, right we back onto the bush and it was peaceful and quiet. Um, so yeah, she was on board and I said, well, this is a great place for my training. And I think once I moved there and the training was able to be a lot more specific, um, and I started to get, uh, a lot higher placings in a few bigger races and things like that. That's when I decided, yeah, I'm going to actually train. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to train properly, train like an elite athlete and see where it takes me.
0: Now, there are people from a, I guess, a governing body of, of ultra Kind of pushing you along and saying, "Hey, you should take this to the next level."
1: Not really, because um, trail running, it ultra running, it, it doesn't really have um, a governing body as such. Um, I mean, there is a governing body in Australia for ultra running, and yes, they did give me the opportunities to to um, to try and um, so representative for Australia. I, I did a couple of hundred k road races for Australia. So yeah, there were those people gi- giving me that faith in my own ability like, you should apply and, and... but no, it, uh, trail running tends to be um, its quite ungoverned it's quite uh, very um, run by commercial entities like races and things like that it's, it's becoming a lot more governed now uh, globally, so there is um, that kind of um, umbrella um, governing bodies out there but not so much in my day, it was just just about training as hard as I could and being the best athlete I could and letting the opportunities come to me. And I, and I chased up a lot
0: of these opportunities myself. Yeah. In the early days when you started to give it a crack, how did you balance, I guess, becoming a professional athlete and an elite athlete and everyday life?
1: Yeah, so um, as the big turning point, I guess this comes back to that earlier question you asked, the, the turning point was when I won the North Face in 2013. I was still very much i'm a teacher first and then a runner second, but after I won that race um i I started to think, well, I can't be the best teacher I can be and the best athlete I can be at the same time, so I actually went down to part time teaching four days teaching and one and three days um off and I'm very lucky because my wife nadine um is quite good uh has a stable income in her job as well, so the money wasn't so such such an issue so I took, you know, three uh, part-time and then um, I, I started doing a little bit of coaching on the side and then the coaching kind of picked up and then I went to three days teaching. So, and then I went to
0: eventually no teaching. So it's that trapeze approach they talk about. Yeah. You've got to build enough momentum to, to kind of take on the next yeah. venture
1: full-time. Yeah, and that was all within like... Probably 18 months to two years, I, I went down to four days for one year and then three days for half a year. And then the next half of the year, I just basically transitioned out of
0: teaching and into coaching. And were there many sacrifices once you committed to, to full-time running um, or elite running? Were there many sacrifices that you, you had to take to to, to commit to it? Uh,
1: look, personally, no. I think sacrifices are always the, the people around you and, and family. So... My wife, um, you know, obviously has had to sacrifice a few, seeing me as, uh, like, I I train a lot, so a lot of mornings I'm out of bed before she's up, so that kind of thing. Um, A little bit of financial sacrifice as well, but it was always um, for the sake of having a better lifestyle for myself. So, yeah, um, that's, that's kind of... The only sacrifice I can really think of. Other, otherwise, the rest has been pretty phenomenal.
0: And yeah. your running's taken you around the world. What's that experience been like for you? Literally seeing some of the most amazing places. Oh, on Earth? unbelievable! Like
1: it's one of the best things. And I'm a very intrepid-minded person, so I love travelling. My wife loves travelling, so she doesn't mind hitching on hitching a ride with me when I when I go overseas. And we often make bigger holidays around them. I feel so blessed to have gone to some some of the places I've been like there's no way I would have got there otherwise um to Turkey and um you know I've been to every continent just about you know, America and Europe lots of times i uh, I could rattle off some fantastic places you know and that's one of the the best things about running is that it's a truly global sport and you can go anywhere with it and the job I have as well has enabled me to do that because a lot of my work is, is online work um, as well,
0: so I can still do my work as well as travel. Uh, yeah. And looking at a 12-month calendar, including overseas travel, local races, how often are you competing in, in ultras um, throughout that earlier period?
1: Yeah, so I've probably averaged around two or three overseas trips a year for about 10 years now, um, and that's always been around a race of some sort. Um, So I I usually have two or three big races a year. So the ones I really call my A races that I want to do well at. And then um, domestically, I race all year round um, around those bigger races. Um, And I always have a bit of a rest at the end of the year,
0: a bit of downtime. And those big races... How far in advance does your real specific training kick in?
1: Uh, Usually around three, four months. Um, So one goes off the other. Um, So I'll have a three or four month build up to one, then I'll have a recovery period and then I'll start building up for the other one. And um, the last kind of five years, six years or so, I've really done trail in the first half of the year and then the second half of the year I've focused on road running because I found I need that variety to keep myself kind of um sane
0: as, and does that yeah. marry up with the the race schedules as well
1: definitely yeah so in europe the races tend to be in um, the later half of the year and then in, in australia with ultra trail australia that's usually been the a race for may uh, in the first half of the year the trail race so pretty much kept the same kind of calendar um for the first half of the year at least for the last six or seven years i had a couple of different years there when i went to south africa and did comrades um, which is a early uh, like an early year right? Well, it's May June, so all the first half of the year has been was focused on that. But apart from that, it's always been about Ultra Trail Australia, and then later on in the year something like that, something different.
0: And those global races, do you have the opportunity to soak up? You know where you've been. You've, I know you've been to Mount Fuji, uh, a number yeah. of other places. Do you get to kind of soak up the enormity of what you're doing?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Mount Fuji, uh sensational. Like Japan is one of my favourite countries. And I think the second time I went there I brought Nadine over and we did a big holiday around around that race. So it wasn't just a fly in, fly out race, come back home type thing. We actually spent like three weeks over there. And we've done that many times around a race. So we've been to Europe and done big European trips around a race, um Turkey, um, South Africa. So, yeah, really, we love travelling. We really love absorbing ourselves in the culture and not just sticking to the tourist traps. We we get out and, and about and do things, you know, pretty pretty wild. So,
0: yeah. And what's been your most successful overseas race, either by performance in the race or at a personal level?
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I've had a couple of times where I've not gone so well in the race but had a really great trip um, but it always doesn't feel the same when you have a as, as when you have a good race. So I've had really a couple of perlers overseas. I, I guess two of the best races of my life, to be honest, was Western States in American California. That's one of the biggest ultra trail races in the world. It's 100 miles um, through the Sierra Nevada range, and it's wow. the oldest ultra-marathon in America, the 100, oldest 100 mile race, and it's very very significant over there. It's very prestigious. It's so hard to get into. Um, I was very lucky to get into it off the back of that 2013 um, North Face win. I got invited. So I went over there and I trained the house town. I was very specific about my training, ticked all the boxes, one percenters ticked off, and I came eighth. And so that's the highest, um, both the highest position and fastest time ever run by an Australian male.
0: So, yeah, I was pretty proud of that one. Um, Did you feel at that point... Did you feel like you'd made it as an elite athlete or you knew there was a lot more still to come?
1: Yeah, you know, that's a good question because for a lot of the first half of my kind of career when I was um, just starting to travel around, I still thought I was faking it. Like, oh, I'm just like doing this and still feeling like a bit of a fraud or an imposter, you know, that imposter feeling that you you get. And I never thought I was, you know, um, worthy enough to be up on stage and being asked questions and all that kind of thing as they do at some of these big races. But after that Western States, I knew that, yeah, I know what I have to do now to succeed in this sport. I know it takes a lot of dedication and, and discipline, and if I'm willing to do that, I can be good at this for as long as I want to be. So, Did you feel
0: yeah. heads turning at that point, both competitors, sponsors, race organisers, that your name was starting to get out there?
1: Yeah, definitely globally, yeah. I got a lot more offers to travel globally after that, and... Um, getting in the top ten opened up a lot of opportunities. Um, you get invited back to Western States the following year for a start, so that was a good thing. But coming off that, like you just become more known, and um, and I got on the International Innovate, um, which is a shoe, a British shoe company. I got on their international team, so I was able to do a lot of traveling around um, with them, um, and a lot of it was supported as well, which is very nice. So,
0: at this point in time, do you look back and go? that's been a crazy few years where you you picked up running with your your local running club in Strathfield you did a few competitive races and then all of a sudden you're top 10 in the world
1: oh yeah man it was insane it was like it was just like out of control what is going on um and it was hard it was hard to fathom it was like this is just you know this this ride on this wave I'm on it's just unreal and it was at the time where the sport was really booming in Australia as well. So trail running is is it wasn't a big sport back then. But it wasn't even a sport. You would have if you would have said oh, I'm a trail runner, people would have looked at you funny, like what's that? Or I'm doing a trail race. Oh, is that like a bush run? They you know. But it wasn't. But and and when I won you know North Face in two thousand thirteen, started traveling overseas and picking up all these really good race results. Australia was also taking off as a as a, you know, a trail running um, discipline as a sport. So, yeah. Did you feel like you are a bit of a pioneer in the space? Definitely felt like I was at the top of my game at the right time. Um, I, I wouldn't say a pioneer because there was definitely um, underground trail running events and a lot of Australians running like, these big overseas races before I was. It just wasn't mainstream. But when I was um, winning and going really well in these races... It was when the sport was becoming more mainstream, but there's lots of guys that I've been mentored by and and just good friends with that I I kind of call the pioneers, if you like, yeah.
0: And mentoring in the sense of was it was it tactical advice, was it life advice? What what did they provide to you? It's a bit
1: of everything. Like you talk everything when you're out running with people. Like I I, I do these big training runs with people that were you know um you know older and been running these big races longer than I'd been, and they just talk about the um the respect that they had for these races, the prestige around these races, um, and, and also the difficulty of them and, and the fact that you couldn't take them for granted and you, you really needed to, you know, cover all your bases. And um, The science side of things wasn't around back then, so they, they wouldn't really talk tactics or te- technical stuff like nutrition or anything like that. It was more just about how you approach it, like getting in the right headspace and how how you need to
0: treat a, a long race like that and how you deal with the, the difficulties, I guess. Yeah. And was there a big emphasis on the, the training and the preparation and doing everything within your control? So come race day, you're ready to compete? Yeah, I, I think it's always,
1: that's been a strong philosophy, you know, control the controllables and, and don't feel like you're racing anyone on race day because at the end of the day you're just competing within yourself so you can only control what you know you can control and that's usually what you've brought to the table on race day from your training so yeah it was it was all about um also just the love of the sport as well that i guess that's the thing they passed on a lot the love of it like they would talk about the places they had gone and the, the things they've seen and the unique aspects of each race and that's what hooked me into the sport, uh, my love of the adventure of it, um, and always maintaining that strong curiosity, um, and not taking it too seriously. Because at the end of the day, if you take it too seriously, you'll fall in, you'll fall out of love with it. And once you fall out of lo- love with it, when things start to go wrong, for example, you, you you wouldn't end up becoming a lifelong runner, I guess. And I've always wanted to be someone that runs forever, kind of thing. So.
0: And for yeah. you, do you? Do you have certain favourite runs that you like to do or you'd rather try a new run if the opportunity arises?
1: Um, yeah, it's a tricky one because there's lots of races I'd love to do but I tend to these days just go to the races that I get a little bit of support, financial support from either sponsors or that kind of thing from. So um, I've got like my, my passion projects that, yeah, I, I will kind of go to a race and be self-financed and do all that kind of thing myself. And there's been um, a lot of races I've, I've said no to as well over the years that I've been invited to, for such, or for example, because I just didn't like the sounds of it. Um, but, yeah, I, I I kind of maintain a good balance there. I, I do things on my own that I just want to do for the sake of doing it because I've always been interested in it, or just exploring a new area. And then, um, you know, I'll do a race. Like, I'm doing one next week in, in New Zealand. That's one that... I've been invited to, plus I really love, so that's like the, the double, double whammy. The uh,
0: that got me, at the, you know, as soon as they asked me, didn't have to think twice about it, yeah. And as you're progressing on the global scene, did you find back home in Australia that you almost had a bit of a target on your head, that you became the guy that people wanted to beat in these races?
1: Yeah, I think, I think I don't really think about that too much. I mean, I do kind of feel that pressure because it's inevitable that you're going to get some feedback that, you know, kind of gives you that sense that that's out there. So whether it's people on race day asking, oh, how do you feel today? And they're not asking, you know, Joe blogs down there, why are they asking me? Well, obviously, because I'm known. And I think you just have to accept that. And I've always embraced it and I've always been very social. The way I kind of um, deal with it is I try to just immerse myself with everyone and anybody. And I don't treat myself as anyone different. I'm always in talking to everyone and anyone that I feel like talking to, just as I normally would. I don't put myself up on a pedestal or anything like that. But when I'm asked to do something that, from an expert level kind of thing, I'll always do it as well. So, yeah, I mean, it is there, but I tend not to focus on it.
0: And with the intensity of race day, is your preference, do you enjoy the training or do you more enjoy the competition on race day? Because I know you hear a lot of elite athletes who actually kind of rather the training. Once they get to game day, it's almost just like, let's get it done, and they just want to get back to the training and the work.
1: No, I love racing. Uh, I definitely love racing. Uh, I, I'm one of the more prolific racers around, so I, I do a lot of racing just for training as well. So a lot of domestic races I'll just do because it's, it's a good thing to do for my training. And it, it, as long as it, it matches up with what the bigger goal is eventually, I'll do it. Uh, so I love the competitive side of things. I love, I love you know, asserting my authority and, and not letting... Uh, young whippersnappers get the, <laughs> the upper hand, especially local races. I'll, I'll definitely defend my turf and things like that. Um, but uh, I, I love training as well, as long as the diversity and the variety is there. Um, so hence why I swapped the road usually halfway through the year and focus on road running because I can't do the same training all year round and I need to mix and match my racing as well. So go to road and trail and yeah, um, but I, I enjoy running full stop. So anything that, yeah, I'll, I'll always find joy in running. There has been times where I haven't loved it. And, you know, that's, I think, just a normal wave that, you know, you go through an elite sport. But racing as well can also be quite anxiety-provoking for a lot of people. But like I said, I, I don't really have that kind of trait anxiety. Um, I, I kind of get to race and, like, I'm busting out of my skin. Let's let's do this. And, um yeah, it's, it's never given me any, any kind of fear of racing. I, I like racing and training
0: equally, I guess. Yeah. And you mentioned you had a perler, or a couple of perlers. Oh, on yeah. One of them was the Western States. Mm. The moment you, 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 you set foot in that race and you're on the first kind of um, portion of it, did you know you're on to a good race? Or is it just so in the zone that you don't even recognize
1: no, it's funny ultramarathon running because you never quite know where you stand in the race and that's why it's always just about focusing on your own processes and I probably was 30th in that race after the first kind of checkpoint but you have to trust that your race plan is going to be successful and that's what I did that day I um, and I guess it was partially because I was new to that race and I didn't want to take any high risks and I was kind of racing quite conservatively but it ended up being the best kind of race plan and so what ended up happening in that race is um, a lot of people dropped out in front of me because they, they, they executed poorly or went out too hard and then I, I was just finishing stronger so I, I just all day just climbed through the field and end up finishing in 8th that day and it was the same in that other race that I had a pearl in was at Comrades it's a road race in South Africa I was, I've never been like one to go out with the leaders um, so much I'm always one that kind of just plays a bit smarter and that, but saying so, yeah, that, trust, I have trust yourself. Yeah, yeah, trust yourself. Trust your tactics. Trust that you have done the training that's going to get you eventually that result, even though at the time you might not be in that position in the
0: race. Yeah. And what's your frame of mind in a race? Are you fully present in what you're doing, or is it a bit of an out of body experience? You have you cycle
1: through both. Um, definitely, you have to be engaged in your running. You you need to think about your intensity, how much you got how much you're, you're outputting um, against distance left, um, how much nutrition you're taking in, um, the external factors like humidity, conditions of the day, what, what kind of um, play they're having out. Um, so even things like impacts on your body if it's a trail race, you know, how, how hard and soft you're landing on the ground, all those things play out over like a big, big, long race, like 100 miles. It might feel very comfortable for the first 50 Ks, but eventually everything's catch up with you. So you have to be engaged. But I think you're more engaged early on when you have to force yourself to be patient and actually run slower than you want to run and, and just trust yourself um, that your pace is the right pace. But later on in the race, in the second half, that's when it becomes much more a mental game and that's where you've got to use all those distracting kind of techniques, zoning out. Mindfulness like concentrating on other things rather than other than you're running, so yeah, just to take your mind off the pain
0: a little bit in an, in an example where you're you're up to kilometer sixty out of hundred kilometers so you've still got a marathon to go how do you approach that? Do you see that as a challenge or can it be quite deflating at times?
1: No, I always believe the best way to do it is just break it up into little chunks so just focus on the next point or the next checkpoint or the next focus point or the top of the next climb or the next monument or the landmark that you know is coming up. It's, it, yeah, so I, I never think about how, how much i got to go or anything like that. It's always, where's my next little target? Where's my next target? And then that's the the best way to approach it.
0: Do you ever find in these long races, especially the 100 miles, it, do you find yourself going into to dark places in terms of you can't see yourself getting out of that race?
1: Oh, lots of times, yeah. Yeah, your body... It's a physical thing, and then it becomes a a mental thing. So it always starts with the physical, I think. When you start feeling physical discomfort, it becomes like then a mental. You start saying things to yourself like, "Oh, you start making deals with yourself. Oh, if I have ten minutes at the next checkpoint, I might get you know, I might come good, or you know, it's okay to pull out. This race isn't that important, or." um yeah your mind goes into all funny kinds of deals with yourself and you have to kind of block all that out because that's just negative thoughts creeping in and you need to you need to stay very in the moment and just focus on the next step almost just getting keeping that forward momentum going rather than thinking any anything like catastrophically uh, because it can really get out of control. And once you start letting that in, it becomes a real, like a a poison. So So you need incredible mental fortitude, no doubt. You do, and you need to recognise when they're coming on. And you've got to hit them before they actually, you start thinking it. So you need to either recognise something physically that's giving you discomfort, either pull back or do something that's going to make that physical pain, you know, lessen. Um, Or you need to give yourself a big mental pick up and and pull and pull back your your negative thoughts somehow by just totally distracting yourself or you know um thinking about something um, that's you know totally out outside the realm of running altogether
0: yeah and that self-awareness is obviously c- crucial to the racing have you developed that over time or did you feel like you had a pretty natural instinct to be able to recognize when when those tough times were coming
1: yeah i think a natural i think when people talk about talent, you know, that's talent for an ultra marathon runner is is not so much physical talent um, in a sense where you have a, a good body or a good, um, you know, aerobic system because everyone can develop that. I think what happens in between your ears in, in your mental, mental frame work is where the talent is, and that's where I think I'm good at it. I'm very naturally resilient and very naturally stubborn. And, and most ultra marathon runners that are successful are, so there's something in that where we just kind of find a way and we don't we don't really give in ever so it is a a, a common trait amongst successful ultra marathon runners're very stubborn and resilient and um, gritty and
0: and and strong minded um, yeah and how important are tactics in ultra marathon running
1: yeah important in not so much your opponents. Um, like where you sit with your opponents it's more just tactical within yourself so I, I spoke about first first half of the race you need you need to think tactically for the back half of the race so you always need to give yourself like a really easy kind of build into the race so as soon as you go out and you want to lead from the, the first kilometer and you want to just you only feel comfortable say being at the front or near the front it's pretty much a recipe for disaster and you get a lot of um, you get a lot of feedback when you actually try something that is outside the the instinctive. Go out hard, follow my ego. It's kind of saying you got to race hard from the get go. Because it's not about that in ultramarathon running. It's about being patient, being controlled, being um, measured about things, and really allowing yourself to do stuff that's kind of counterintuitive. So walking like in the first half of the race when you're still quite capable of running but walking up hills instead of trying to run them because later on you know that in the you know 120 130 k's that run that you did back then is actually impacting on how you're feeling later on so it's a bit of the hair and the tortoise (laughs) yeah yeah it is and it's all about um controlling your your ego and your natural kind of instincts a little bit because everyone thinks racing is about sometimes people think racing is about going as hard as you can for as long as you can holding on and really digging in deep at the end but it's actually not about that it's it's being the
0: smartest racer to the conditions and the terrain on the day you're listening to the passion and perspective podcast brought to you by sporting chance media For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Brendan, you recently started a business, Up Coaching. How do you approach coaching uh, whilst you are still running as well?
1: Yeah, look, it's, um, I try to keep it very uh, community-minded. Um, coaching, for me, is about having a good, strong squad together uh, that feed off each other rather than just the coaches. So the coaches can be the ones um, providing the guidance in the program, but it's the other runners that keep the runners interested and give them that social support networks that keep them in running. Because you can have a, a really, really talented runner, but they're going to lose interest if, they, if it's just all about training, 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 training and no socialising. So I keep a really good balance between, yes, there is training, but yes, there has to be that social side as well because running is that kind of sport where there is that social side.
0: And how much of the technical components come into running, um, speaking quite naively, yeah. Um, how yeah. important is that and what difference can that make for a runner?
1: Definitely it's something that needs to be addressed in older runners that haven't had much exposure to running previously. Um, usually I, my squad, I get a lot of, say, guys in their early 30s, women in their early 30s, and they've had a pretty sedentary kind of life up to that point in their adult life, maybe a desk job or something like that. And they usually have poor biomechanics, and so we kind of need to take a step back. Um and then kind of retrain them, re, re-teach them to run properly before they can start taking on races and speed and longer, longer races. And that's one of the uh, the trends with these big races around is that people just jump into the race and they forget about the actual elements that make you a, a good racer. So they end up coming to the race and or a good runner, I should say, um, and they end up having a pretty poor, um, negative, I guess, race. Like in the sense that. They walked a lot more than they thought they would. They hurt a lot more than they thought they'd hurt. And they struggled, and the, and a lot of them don't ever do it again, which is a shame. So my philosophy is more like, no, let's let's teach you to be a good runner first biomechanically. Um, Let's get good training habits in place, and then you can start thinking about racing. And always take the small steps approach in racing. Start with five k, then ten k, then. When you're ready, step it up the distances, but only when you feel like you've mastered that distance. Then, yeah.
0: What does it mean to you to be able to share your wealth of experience with, with other people of all skill levels? Yeah, look, I love it. Um, most of the time, it's it's done on the
1: runs as well, so it's pretty much you know right there and then, um, very feedback in the moment type stuff. So I do a lot of running with my athletes and. Um, yeah, that's when I usually am uh, the most effective coach, I think. Um, the actual programming side of things is, is quite easy. It's just about laying out their monthly plan or whatever and, and leading it up to the race that they're doing or whatever. But when you're out there and you're feeding back little things that you see them doing or you're giving little bits of advice here and there, I think that's the little percenters that make them the, the next level. Yeah. And for you as a runner, do you feel like you've hit your peak? Oh, yeah. Look, I, I think... I've faced reality and I'm 43 now and ultra running is actually one of those sports where you can be successful still well into your later kind of ages, 40s, 45s even because I think, you know what you touched on before about that mental side of things and experience that that can be something that you have the advantage over younger bodies. So I'm more relying on my experience levels these days and my actual physical prowess, I guess, although I'm still very fit. Um, I, I don't think a lot of the races I've won in the last couple of years have been because I'm the fittest. I'm, it's because I've raced well or I've just had a lot more experience to, to get through that the right way. So it's quite yeah.
0: different to a lot of other sports where if you haven't made it by 25, 26, there's no chance. Yeah. You yourself didn't pick it up to after that time. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like um, Swimmers retire early because they, they lose that sharpness um, in, their, in their physical state. Um, and, um, cricketers, I guess they start to, um, lose that hand-eye coordination, but running isn't really like that. And aerobically, because it's not a, uh, it's, it's not a high intensity sport, although it's an extreme sport, it's very aerobically based and you can maintain aerobic fitness, um, well into your, you know, later life. You do lose muscle mass as you get older. So that becomes a bit of an issue. But as long as you're swapping your training and focusing on different parts of your training, like strength work as you get older, you're still able to maintain a really high um, level if that's something you're pursuing. Um, Most people when they reach their 40s are pretty much not really interested in pursuing competitive sport anymore, but um, I definitely still am because it's so ingrained in me. I just love being the best I can. But I think eventually one day I'll go, right, uh, I'm not that interested in trying to win anymore. I'll, I'll just be quite happy just participating. But at the moment, I'm still training. Like um, you know, I want to win everything I'll go into. So it's good routine to yeah. have. Yeah.
0: And have there been times over the past seven or eight years that you've just you've, you've had that feeling of I want to throw this in, I want to go back to teaching, I want the nine to five, or has it always been that drive to keep going?
1: Yeah. Look, there has been times coaching has been tough. Um, and certain times, I've just taken on too much and trying trying to do too much and be be everything for everyone type of thing and um, that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned over the years that you have to say no to things and you have to utilise the team around you as well. So I think you asked me from my notes beforehand what are the three challenges and I just kind of summarised it in like three key phrases. What were the order? Have you got them written down? Because I, I, I want to get the
0: order right. I think but, I've got them here. I can read them out for you. You had a, uh, it was catchy actually. Like, quite yeah, like saying no,
1: letting go and doing so. So saying no was, I used to say yes to everything. Oh, interview here, can, can you coach me? Yes. Um, Do you want to go for a run with me? Yes. And so I was just doing, you know, trying to be this yes man that was just so unsustainable and it really broke me and almost made me give it up um, as a coach that is um and it it is nice but you do have to eventually look after yourself first so saying no was a big lesson I learned um and then letting go is is just about the business side of things involving other people utilizing the team around you so I'm so fortunate to have a a great team of like six or seven local coaches now that work for me casually I'm still the only full-time um, person, But yeah, they all pick up a little bit of work on the side and I've given them more responsibilities over the years and stuff that I used to hang on to quite strongly now, uh, you know, I give them more opportunities to utilize their skills. And it's been great for me because I can, um, I can, you know, my time management is so much better now and I've got so much more control back over my own life, uh, I guess. And then the last one, um, doing so, is just is, that's just all about um, following up what you say you're going to do and not falling back into old routines. So, yeah, being, being cognizant of things when you're falling back into old routines and
0: stuff like that. Um, it's a great, great yeah. little mantra. Yeah, yeah. And I think certainly one that a lot of people could, could live by
1: as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, running a small business is hard. You don't have to make it hard on yourself, I think. Yeah, it's hard enough on its own.
0: And Brendan, looking back at your incredible endurance running career, you've represented Australia 11 times across many disciplines, Mm -hmm. the Australian Ultra Runner of the Year for 2012, 15, 16 and 18, plus a number of race records Mm -hmm. around the world. Have you had the chance to look back and reflect on on an amazing period of your life? I'm starting to do it a little bit more now because um, I'm not racing
1: as much as I used to, so I've got a little bit more time and... My business is a lot more under control now, so I'm not personally coaching as many people as I used to coach, so I've got a little bit more time for that. Um, But no, I've I've got a project in mind. Uh, I've got a couple of blank scrapbooks at home, and I've got all the newspaper articles in a shoebox, a couple of shoeboxes that one day I will actually sit down and stick them all in and make up my own little kind of album that I can pass on. but, yeah, look, I only really think about races um, that I've done in the past when I'm reflecting back to athletes that are, are doing them. So uh, a lot of the athletes I coach now are starting to do some of these bigger races that I've done before, mainly because I've kind of pushed them into it, <laughs> but also because I can pass on that inside knowledge about it. So, yeah, it, has, it is nice to look back on the successes, but also the ones that you, you fail, like not failed,
0: but you didn't do as well at as well. And yeah. what's the emotion? Is it, is it pride? Um, is it nostalgia? What do you feel most looking back at the years? I feel a lot of
1: satisfaction um, that I've maintained my values as a runner. Um, I've never taken it too seriously. I've always been very uh, community minded about it. I've always passed on my knowledge whenever I could. I've always involved others. Um, I've never let it become too serious and I've always had that high sense of adventure. So, those kind of values that I hold dearly have stayed true. Um, I've always done well when I've represented Australia. That's something I really, I'm i really proud of. So some some of my best results, bar one time uh, out of those 11 times, have been some, of, yeah, have been the best races of my life. So I've always given the Australian singlet the, the respect it deserves. And, you know, I've always maintained integrity in the sport as well that I'm very proud of. I've never... Um, I've never, you know, been a controversial figure, I guess, not that you, yeah, but I've never, I've always, always represented my sponsors, my country, my family, and, and always tried to be the nicest person I can be, basically, yeah.
0: That's a very good approach. Mm. And Brendan, do you feel that in life you find yourself as a person, or you create yourself? And what I mean by that is, do you feel that the path is already laid out for you, or you have to uncover your path as you go?
1: Yeah, it's a really deep question, that one, because, yeah, when I was a kid, I, I said earlier that running was something I always knew I was good at. I never thought it would take me to the places or take me to the position I'm in now where it's actually ingrained in my job as well, but I always knew that was something that I'd, I'd feel good doing. Yeah, so that's I guess that's part destiny. Yeah. It's taken control of it, but I've also taken a lot of opportunities that have come my way. So um, if there was a positive to saying yes to a lot of things early on, it was that it it did create its own path for me.
0: And that's complemented with your curiosity. Yeah. That want to find something more to travel the world.
1: Yeah, I guess so. And um, yeah, those opportunities led to other things that led to other things and have led to the place where I'm at now, I guess. And also uh, fate, I guess, or one of those serendipitous moments is just meeting the odd person here or there that open up another door for you. And I think that comes down to my personality that I like talking to people, meeting new people, becoming friends with
0: people, engaging with people. So I think it's all kind of rolled into one. Yeah. And as I said, it has been an incredible journey for you this past decade. What's What's next for you? What's next on your radar? Uh, well, I'm kind of just thinking about this race i got next week
1: in <laughs> New Zealand. It's 100 miles. So I'm just kind of uh, thinking about that, but... Um, professionally, uh, I think, t- uh, coaching will, will continue on the way it's been going and try and just gradually not build the business so much, but just solidify it and, um, try and get better at it myself and perhaps fulfill, um, uh, or, or just try to go forward with my coaching a little bit more, um, branching out into different areas of, you know, becoming more specialized, perhaps in, um, that kind of thing. Um. But, yeah, uh, just kind of racing a bit um, this year. So I've still got that in the in the back, of, like taking up half of my mind and then the business stuff is pretty much the other half. But eventually one day I think I'd like to go back to teaching as well. So, yeah, it might not be something I do forever, coaching full-time, but it'll definitely be something I'll always do.
0: And for you just recently, um, you used the, the, the power of endurance running to the local community together um, and, and really help those in need through the bushfire crisis. Um, tell us a little bit about the, the marathon bushfire effort and and breaking that two-hour marathon. Time. Oh,
1: look, that was so cool. Um, so, yeah, we had this idea when Elliot Kipchoge broke, before he broke the two-hour barrier himself, uh, that was a couple of months ago, I don't know if you remember that, the big Nike hullabaloo around that. Yeah, so... Just when that was starting to become a bit more talked about, I sat down with a a guy, um, an athlete in my squad, Alex McKenzie. He's very statistical-minded, and he came up with the idea "Well, let's do it first, but we obviously couldn't do it on our own. We have to do it as a relay, so we came up with this concept of, let's get the athletes together, and we all run either 400 metres or whatever, and we'll try and break it two hours. It never really came out of anything, um, as most ideas do at a a coffee shop. They kind of don't come to anything, but... When this bushfire um, tragedy kind of took hold and I had a strong sense that I want to do something and help out because my house was actually in an area that was very affected early on in the bushfires and I just saw the amount of resources that it took for the is to put that out and um, it was that really early fire in Woodford, it started with a house fire. And thankfully it was before all the other bushfires had become like big bigger bigger things and they threw every big brigade in the sun at it and they got they got it under control very quickly but I just thought, well I wanna help help these brigades somehow and then after the obviously the later devastations of the bushfires, especially with the wildlife and stuff, we were like, Well let's um put on a charity run. How can we involve the entire community? And they all feel like they're part of, you know, the achievement of the of the running part of it but also raising money at the same time. So this two-hour relay marathon resurfaced. Um, so it's not racing against others, it's just racing against the clock and everybody's just doing their own thing as part of a team. So we ran, we had 130 or more people each running 100-metre legs down at Glenbrook Oval on Sunday, just one one at a time. So it was fully like timed as a relay on a 400-metre track. Um, so we had 105 laps made up of four 100 meter legs of different people running you know a leg some people ran up to four legs some people just did one leg some people did two some people did three but it was amazing we had four year old 78 year old and every everybody and everyone in between yeah it was it was a really cool day and we broke the two hour by about three minutes which was a cherry yeah it was it was just the icing on the cake of a great day we raised over six grand for the
0: for the RFS and wires that we're going to share the donations with. So, yeah. That's a phenomenal achievement yeah. for yourself and the community. Is that an area you could see your business or ultra marathon running going is using the sport for social good?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think that will become a bigger part of who I am as I as I become less kind of competitive, I guess, and start to use my running for, for greater good. And I've often thought about doing some kind of charity thing before, but I'm, involving me as a runner but this one actually didn't involve me as a runner i didn't even run one leg of it i just emceed all day and was on the microphone commentating so it was really good that i wasn't the focal point even though it was my business that ran it It involved lots of people outside the community not just athletes part of my squad as well so
0: there's lots of people i didn't even know that took part and it was just unreal yeah Uh, sensational mate congratulations again um, thank you for your time and for sharing your incredible story and, and journey. And I'm sure there's much more to come. Before we do wrap up, did you want to give a quick plug to to your website and your business? And where can people find out more about your story?
1: Yeah, look, I, yeah, I have a website, um, brendandavies.com.au. There's a bit of like my history on there um, and my racing. Kind of, a lot. I like write I I liked riding a lot back in the early days when I had a bit more time. So there's a lot of good race reports on there if you're interested in that type of thing but my business um you yeah, my coaching business we run local sessions in the blue mountains um tuesday wednesday thursday and we do a long run on the weekend but the best place if you want to just come down for a nice relaxed social kind of start um is come to my social run on a wednesday night we run it out of the blue mountains running company shop in glenbrook um next to 2773 cafe we start there we run about six seven kilometers Just very relaxed. People walk, run, a bit of both and just come along and say good day. And then from there, if you wanted to like take your running kind of a little bit more seriously, you can start to come to some of my training sessions. And, um, and join in there. And, um, and then, yeah, and then you've well and truly bitten by
0: the running bug, and the rest will be history. We're we'll just talking about <laughs> it, mate. You've, you've got me hooked. Yeah. Uh, oh, great. Yeah. Come along then. <laughs> I, will, I will. Again, a big, big thank you for your time for sharing your story, and good luck in New Zealand.
1: Oh, you're most welcome, John Owen. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast, brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and proudly presented by the Western Weekender.